Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 19, The Labors of Love. Mary, what happened this week? Kelly and Donna are still being David's moms because he didn't know how to handle his life even before he started doing the meth. He has a shift at the peach pit and Donna and Kelly make sure he wakes up on time. They grab him some clothes so he can get dressed and a little baggie of meth falls out of David's drawer. Kelly confronts him and decides that she and Donna are moving out if this is how he's going to live his life. Donna is not super thrilled by this idea, but Kelly is forcing her to go along with this exercise in tough love. Kelly has somewhere to stay, and Donna doesn't. The rent is due, and David is on his own without his moms. Also, David needs meth money because the full baggie they found this morning is apparently empty. David goes to see Howard at the station, and Howard fires him. David's meth dealer won't accept checks. David (laughs) finds Kelly and Donna and asks for their two-thirds of the rent. Kelly says, no, you should have thought of that before you decided to bring drugs into our home. Donna gives him their two-thirds of the rent. David goes back to his dealer twice because editing is hard apparently in this episode where his dealer and some other guys are injecting meth into themselves. David watches them while looking all nervous. What will he do? The part where the guy was just like taking off his sock and then you just watch David's face where he's like, oh, yeah, that's it. That feels good. Foot meth. It was the (laughs) grossest thing. And like, I don't, I don't know how to inject drugs, right? (laughs) I've never done it. I don't know if this is real or not, but the sound of him like slapping his own foot to get a vein. It's like, what is happening? Yeah. I'm really glad they didn't put that as like, um, a closed caption, you know, because like I always watch it on closed captioning because I make sure I get the right wording and stuff. And they could have easily been like flicks toes or like something like that. And I'm just really glad they didn't because I didn't need to have a word association to the visual or like the sounds that we had. Then there was the uh, which little piggy is going to market. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like gross, bro. <laughs> I was just going to say, if the captions had been written today, they would be so detailed (laughs) because they're just getting more and more detailed, like, with the descriptions. They would be. Uh, John is watching Supernatural right now, and they keep, like, the captions keep having smacks lips. Oh. And I hate it. I'm like, I already have to hear it. You don't have to call it out. Yeah. Like, it's bad enough. Like, well... I will say it's one thing if you're like reading a book and you have no visual, like it's just all your imagination. But then for some reason, it's like pairing the visual with the caption, (laughs) making it extra graphic, even though you already know what's happening. (laughs) It's like, I don't need that. But it's like, I don't know that that adds to anything. Like if I was if I was deaf and watching Supernatural and relying on reading the, the captions smacks lips when it's literally just like the guy who plays Sam made a noise with his mouth that I don't think had anything to do with the scene. Like if it was a purposeful smacking of the lips, maybe, (laughs) but every time I see it is literally just like an acting choice of just like sigh smacks lips gives, you know, line. Sure. Like, (laughs) I don't know. It 
I hate it. I hate the Smacks lips. I've seen it like five times today and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, I think my least favorite, or not least favorite, because I, I, I'm sure there's something else out there that makes me like almost gag more. But my word that kind of triggers is slurps. Yeah. Yeah, that's a word I can't handle. Like slurps coffee or like slurps soup. I'm like, no, I don't. No. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's just kind of a gross word. I know. Think about it. I mean, it accurately describes what's happening, but I don't like it. <laughs> Ugh. But that's, yeah. you know, well on down the road. I know. That's literally the end of David's story. Yeah. Like how we get there um, is pretty much like... Like, the first thing that happens is just David not hearing the blaring music that's happening in his room. And he's, like, sleeping through it all. And he's um, he's apparently supposed to be working at the Peach Pit. And he's sleeping. So, of course, his two moms have to get him up. They burst in his room like, David, will you turn that off, like, very mom-like? And then they're like, you have to get up. And they start being the perfect parents. And it's like, I'll get the shirt. You get, like, you know, like, doling out tasks to each other to get him awake and up and moving. It's so annoying. And I have so many opinions about him being like, the peach pit will be fine without me if I just miss my shift. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, such a lack of consideration for literally anything. And, you know... Even with you doing all these drugs, he never misses a shift at the radio station. Like, right. He's, you know, I guess the idea is supposed to be that, you know, he's so into doing drugs and he only cares about drugs and himself. So, like, if it doesn't directly benefit him, he's not going to do it. But, like, David was also a little shit before he got on the meth. So I'm having trouble being like, of course he's going to go to the peach pit and help his friends. Like, I don't know that he would have anyway. Yeah, that's a good point, because he always kind of seemed, like, ancillary to Donna, right? So, like, kind of whatever she did, he just was there. Um, We don't actually kind of know if David's own intentions are ever actually, like, selfless, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the next scene with Kelly and Donna after they've said they're going to move out. But Kelly acknowledges, like, we pick up after him, we buy him his food, we make sure he goes to class, like – He's only been doing drugs for a month. She also says that, and they've been doing this all semester. Yeah, because, like, he takes the graveyard radio shift, and he's not getting a lot of sleep. And then he was on academic – he was probably on academic probation before he got on the drugs, like – or at least heading down that path. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's annoying. I mean, the fact that they have to mother him – I mean, I like I get it from the the writing point. I'm not trying to criticize that. I just mean it's annoying in the sense that like this is a grown ass boy who is only a year separated. <laughs> yeah, I know I said a grown ass boy. <laughs> I heard it, <laughs> but is only a year separated from Donna and Kelly, but yet acts like he's their kid brother. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like, yeah. So going back to this first scene where. You know, they have to get him up. They can't believe he's sleeping through things. They have to lecture him on how he's missing his shift at the peach pit and that they won't be fine without him. That's the whole point of him having the shift at the peach pit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Donna throws pants at him. She's like, Kelly, go get him a shirt. And when Kelly gets him a shirt, apparently he's really bad at hiding his drugs. And they're just like in the top shirt in his drawer. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he uses the whole like oh this isn't mine I'm just holding it for someone else like that has ever been the case Oh, and then he immediately turns it back on them and is like, why are you snooping in my stuff? It's like, okay, first of all, you're right. It's never the case that you're just holding it for a friend. Mm -hmm. Second of all, they're not snooping in your stuff. You overslept and they have to do everything for you. So they're literally dressing you right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Kelly makes a comment that they've picked up his clothes before and I just can't – under like – He's just really bad at hiding his drugs. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, like, what was it, a few episodes ago, he just was, like, staring at it in his little baggie, and, like, Donna bursts in, and he, like, shoves it under his blankie or something, and... Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Clearly, he's not a very smart drug addict. No, he's not. He's not a smart little boy at all. And then, like, all this yelling makes Donna apologize to him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on, Kelly, let's go. Like, I'm so sorry that we did all this stuff. You're right. Maybe he is just holding it for a friend. And then Kelly is just like, absolutely not. We're not dealing with this anymore. You brought drugs into this house. We're moving out. I think out of like, okay, I'm trying to go at this from a couple of different perspectives because on the one hand, I can understand how an audience would be mad at Kelly, right? Just because it is tough love and it's and it's extreme to an extent. And she's being like pretty harsh. But I don't agree with that. I think it's the absolute right move because she's experienced what it's like to be around a person who uses drugs and abuses drugs. She is trying to draw a line so clear. It's like there will not be drugs in this house. And if there are drugs in this house, I am not in it and I'm not a part of it. And I am also getting Donna out of this because I am not sitting by and letting somebody else get involved. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing. She dealt with this when she was like 15 years old. She, at this point, I would trust her more than anybody to correctly react to a situation involving drugs or alcohol. So, you know, obviously Donna is like clouded by love and by, the fact that she deeply cares for David, but you know, the, it's also her earnestness and her optimism and her like belief that everything's going to be okay, which in normal circumstances are three wonderful qualities, but here it's just being, you know, clouded it's, it, or it's clouding her judgment. So, you know, she feels that Kelly's being too harsh. She feels like we need to trust David, but Kelly's right. I mean, she's a hundred percent right. <laughs> well, and Donna even makes a comment to Kelly in the next scene when, like, Kelly is calling Dylan to be like, hey, leave a key under the mat because I'm going to come stay with you for a little while, that Kelly's mom, you know, when Jackie was going through all that stuff, like, she was going to rehab. She was going to, like, inpatient stuff, and this tough love thing didn't happen to her. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's a legitimate point, which I think I only really want to bring up because – towards the end of the episode where Kelly is telling everybody that David is on drugs and Donna gets really mad at her. But like, yes, tell everyone that David is on drugs because you can't hide these things for him. Like this is not a, this shouldn't be a secret for him. But she tells Steve and then Donna's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're just telling everyone. And Kelly's like, yeah, I told Mel and Jackie too. How did she tell Mel and Jackie and Mel hasn't sent David to a rehab 
or if he wasn't ready to like send him to full-blown rehab control more of his environment right like make him live at home it, yeah or, intervene in some yeah, way exactly yeah like that to me was I, I understand what they're trying to do they're trying to say that kelly has like told everybody to make a point and mm-hmm. to make people understand that like david's not okay and everybody needs to know it um but i think it was a little bit of an oversight because yeah like if the parents know why what's being done about it especially if jackie knows oh yeah because she like she would never allow david around aaron anymore and and like she's gone through drug addiction before she wouldn't be like yeah sure leave him on his own Right, right. Because she knows out of anybody that the only reason that she's clean is because of Kelly. Yeah. Like, I think if Kelly had actually told Mel and Jackie, you know, what really would have happened, which takes away all of the soap opera-iness of the show. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, that's why this didn't happen. But, like, Kelly and Donna would have been allowed to stay in the beach apartment. Mel and Jackie would have shown up at the beach apartment together to forcibly remove David from the beach apartment and take him to Mel's or to right. Jackie's or, you know, to a rehab, like one of those things. And he wouldn't be showing up to a dorm room meth lab to do drugs. Yeah. And I get why that's not happening. Like, you know, we need the tough love scenes. We need to see David, you know, doing this whole spiral. But so I think – that means that you can't have the line that Kelly told Mel and Jackie. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it just was an accidental too far Mm -hmm. to say (laughs) in the script for us now podcasters who review this kind of stuff and pay super close attention. Cause otherwise I'm sure people didn't even think about it, but now that we have, we're like, Oh no, then this is a different problem. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) fun story the two women who wrote this episode never write another episode of 90210 again and actually only have like a dozen writing credits between the two of them interesting and so all I'm thinking over here is just like you're taking me out of the story by saying that Mel and Jackie are aware that David is doing meth Mm -hmm. and not doing anything about it yeah it's not like it's just he went to a party and had a drink you know, because Mel's provided champagne to them before, you know, like that would have been something that's like Mel and Jackie know that David went to a party and got wasted. Like that would have been like, okay, okay, that's fine. Or at least not as bad. Like, let's see if it becomes a pattern. But no, this is like crystal meth. (laughs) It's like one of the hardest drugs that you can do at the time. And it is a pattern. And it's really obvious that he's doing it because he's not hiding the drugs. His behavior has completely changed. He's on the radio high off his head. Like, you can just listen to the radio show and be like, oh, that boy is high right now. He allowed his baby sister to get taken by another person. Which Kelly even says, like, I really thought that was going to be the turning point and that you know, oh my God, I lost my baby sister. I need to stop doing drugs. And he still didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, 
the next thing in this storyline is really, you know, Kelly going over to Dylan's to spend the night and talking about David's problem. And then she like kind of makes a little throwaway comment about how she used to stay homesick and the housekeeper would make her tomato soup and she'd watch reruns of Bewitched and wish that she could like wiggle her nose and make everyone's problems go away. Mm-hmm. And that was the cutest thing that I have ever heard. <laughs> You know, she kind of, like, has the look for it, too. Like, she could easily dress up, like, for Halloween and and be that character. Um, gosh, I'm blanking on her name. Was it uh, Samantha? Samantha? Yeah. yeah. Um, she could easily be that character, yeah. And that was, like, a cute little scene with her and Dylan and, you know, all that. But then, yeah, Donna shows up and and because, obviously, she has nowhere to go. Because, and- duh, Kelly, you can't just be, like, we're moving out. Find somewhere to live. <laughs> yeah. Like in the middle, or I guess it's like the beginning of the semester, but like after everything's already taken, leases have been signed, like whatever. But yeah, she comes over and she's still, I mean, because this is true to Donna's character, she really wants to believe that David was telling the truth about that it was somebody else's drugs, um, you know, that David doesn't really have a problem, like blah, 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 blah. Immediately after that scene is when we get David at the radio station and practically begging Howard for more drugs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He... He shows up early and it's just like, yo, Kelly and Donna were giving me grief. So I just like had to come by early. And like Howard, to him, you know, basically begging Howard for drugs, he's like, oh, I see. You don't have a drug problem. You have a problem getting drugs. Right. So, and I was like, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> he does have a drug problem. He has both. As well as getting drugs. Yeah. Like, anyway, but then Howard just freaking fires him. Like, and and I'm sorry, like, I okay, sure, David should be fired for doing drugs on the air. Fine. Howard provided the drugs. Like, if it hadn't been for Howard, we I don't think David would have gotten on meth. Yeah. I guess the problem here is that, like, we're supposed to assume that Howard can do meth and also do his job. Like Howard dabbles in meth. Like, I don't know. It's, it's this idea that he's like, yeah, I can do it, but I know to do it in moderation. You're going around stealing drugs from your dad's office, stealing money from your roommates, which, you know, happens later in the episode but like he's doing all of these things and it's just like and your radio show sucks now (laughs) which yeah I just I still have because like even David called him a hypocrite or whatever and I kind of agree with him like like I understand that like Howard's a functioning meth user (laughs) but you can't give a boy a child crystal meth you give a mouse a cookie, he's gonna want a glass of milk. <laughs> no, like I you're completely right. Like Howard <laughs> is being an absolute hypocrite, and I'm really concerned that we are never gonna see anything bad happen to Howard. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I understand the point. It's like I'm giving you it, it's kind of like when um I'm trying to think of a good example that's not like like a positive example. It's like, I don't know, like somebody gives you something and it's like this is a privilege to have it don't 
abuse it, right? Or it's like your mom leaves you home for the first time when you're alone, when you're a kid. So don't like burn the house down or like, don't, you know, I don't know, let the dog out and lose the dog. I don't know. Like something like that. It's like, you've been given a special thing. Don't ruin it. And sure, David ruined it, but I'm still like, but the special thing was meth. Exactly. Like, like it would be one thing if he just like let David, you know, have um, ownership of the radio station for the day, right? Like Howard's got to go meet somebody somewhere else. And so he lets David manage the two to 4 PM radio show. And instead he pulls a Steve and locks himself out and the CD skips, right? Like that would be something that I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, he messed up. But the dude gave him hard drugs and was like, don't do anything bad. What do you expect? Again, you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. You give a guy drugs, he might get addicted to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty unfair that this is happening to David. But, like, I, I get story-wise why it's happening. Yeah, sure. And, I mean, like. Now I'm just thinking back to everything Howard has done. I'm like, I wonder if he was on meth when he just like gave Donna a daytime radio show and then like three hours later was like, oh, my ex-girlfriend actually wants this show. So you're fired. (laughs) I mean, he probably was, right? Like, I mean, again, Howard is a functioning meth user, so who knows? But yes, plot – again, I don't disagree with David being fired, And I don't disagree with where the plot's going with that. I'm just like, Howard should also be, like, responsible for this. So. No, I really hope at, you know, later in the season we find out that, like, Howard gets arrested for, you know, peddling drugs at the radio station or something. Or even just a possession charge. Like. Yeah. I mean, even in this scene, like, Howard fires him, like, go clean out your locker and... David's like, you're never going to find anybody as talented as me who's willing to stay up all night. Like, oh, my God. It's like, (laughs) David, you're at that time slot because nobody needs to hear you. (laughs) I know. It's like Howard even knows. He, like, laughs and he's like, I guess, you know, I'm going to take that chance. Yeah. But Howard makes a comment at some point and is just like, you're no good to anyone anymore. Oh, yeah. Ouch. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that would, like, because the thing is, is, like, you know, obviously, drugs affect people differently, and depending on, like, how the person is already, it it can also do trippy things to you. But, like, I I firmly believe David has high self-esteem and high confidence. So if he had had low self-esteem, like, if Donna had been the one to break up with him or something, or if he really got in trouble for losing Aaron or something like that, I think that would have been like a tailspin, right? Like it would have been a firm nosedive to rock bottom, like after hearing Howard say something like that. But, but that's kind of why for me, like, yes, it's an, it's a hurtful thing to say, but I don't think it quite landed the way that it probably could have given David's like, I guess, confidence. I don't I don't know. I kind of wonder if David does have a lot of co- maybe what I'm thinking is not necessarily confidence, but I'm thinking about like David puts a ton of pressure on himself. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he insisted on graduating early. He insisted on having a job, a full semester of classes, and, you know, a girlfriend he was horribly mean to last mm-hmm. semester. Like, he tried to get a radio or a record deal in high school. Like, he has a lot of expectations for himself. And so, sure, you know, maybe that's not necessarily directly tied to his self-confidence, but – I mean, the next thing we see is David going to a meth center on campus. Like, you know, maybe not necessarily a meth lab, but like this man is just weighing out giant piles of meth on scales. So like that's the next thing we see right after Howard is like, you're no good to anybody. It kind of is a little bit of a spiral. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it does. That's a good point. It does drive him to go find it himself. Right. And like go to the source, I guess. Um, And he's pretty dang persistent because I think I wrote down, he goes to that dorm room like maybe three times in two days or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we necessarily see the exact timeline of things, but it's probably pretty safe to assume that if this isn't same day, this is the next. It's It's got to at least be the next day because if he showed up early for his shift, he would have showed up at like 9 p.m. or midnight or something. So it's it's definitely the next day at least. And he shows up and tries to buy meth with a check. What what an amateur drug buyer. I know. (laughs) Buddy. Drugs are a cash-based system. (laughs) Yeah. He's just so desperate. Like what would he even say in the memo? (laughs) (laughs) Four drugs. Oh, my God. The meth. <laughs> Could you even imagine? I No, I can't. <laughs> he, like, just writes meth in the memo and hands it to the guy, and the guy is just like, I can't take this to BB&T. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're going to ask me about this. Yeah. Can you imagine a teller looking at that? Oh, also, did, did you see the little boom mic? No. That popped in. Dang it, it, I missed it. It was very brief. When he's standing at the door and he goes to knock, it's almost like the boom mic dropped in and was like, don't do it. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Boomy's my favorite character. Oh, Mr. Boom's the best. He really is. He's like the moral compass. <laughs> <laughs> don't do meth, David. <laughs> He's like the opposite of Tally. <laughs> oh my god. That's so perfect. <laughs> David, okay. don't get high. <laughs> I just want to rewatch this whole series now and just like write what Boomy is thinking every time he makes an appearance. Aww. I know. He's got a lot to say. That's why he keeps showing up. You know, and I bet he's a really good listener. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this guy is just like, no, David, I I don't take checks. I take cash. Mm -hmm. So the next thing we see is David showing up to the peach pit, demanding that Kelly and Donna pay rent. And Kelly is just like, well, it's not fair you brought drugs in the house, and I don't live there anymore, so I'm not paying rent, and Donna's not either. Yep. Yeah, and this is where we find out, like, or I guess this is when Kelly or Steve is like, hey, what's going on? And Kelly just straight up says, hey, he's on drugs. And then tells him about Mel and Jackie knowing. He runs out. 
Donna follows him and is like, I'm going to give you my portion, but not just my portion. I'm going to give you Kelly's portion, too. And, and then, like, David lights up like a Christmas tree. I know. He's like, oh, just make it out to me, and then I'll write one big check for our landlord. Which, yeah. like, I, have they not been giving him three separate checks every single month anyway? Like, Right, right. I don't know. It The whole time they were doing this, all I could think about was – when I started college and when we lived in the dorms, they were like, oh, you should write a roommate agreement. Like, here is the roommate agreement and the questions that y'all need to consider and then you're going to sign it. And then I'm sure, like, the RA threw it out immediately afterwards. But, like, these are things that you have to think about. Like, yeah, who is actually in charge mm-hmm. of making sure the rent gets to the landlord? And when David clearly blows all this money on meth are donna and kelly gonna be in trouble for that right yeah like that's something to think about too and at that point it's like red flags or or warning signs should have gone off in donna's head but again because this was donna and not kelly this is where her earnestness kind of gets the better of her because she just wants to believe that david's okay i mean she even says i just want you to get well or be healthy or I forget exactly what she said, but she literally just wants David to be okay. So she's willing to like throw him a bone. If that means he gets another month of staying in the beach apartment and working on himself and going to his therapist, you know, she said she even mentions his therapist and makes sure that he's still going and stuff like that. But again, it's just, you know, he, he's just going to go out and buy the meth from the dorm and, continue on his way who knows if the rent's even going to get paid it's clearly not oh it's definitely not and all i can think of now is like when kelly finds out what happened she's gonna be furious oh she's gonna go ballistic yeah because yeah david's clearly not paying the rent i mean the next time we see him is going back to get more meth and he's like hey i just i don't remember exactly what i said something about cash and then i think this is where they're all injecting themselves and like it's really gross and I really really hope David didn't do it yeah it almost looked like for a second he was like reconsidering because of the method um by which they were injecting but like I don't think it was an I mean I can't say because we don't know we don't even see it but it's like he looks like he's grossed out by it but I don't know if that's going to be enough to deter him away from it. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole thing is like, we won't know until next week Mm -hmm. what he's doing, but like, I just really hope he didn't inject meth. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I just, I I do want, this does make me wonder because we've had Dylan with his alcoholism, but we've also seen him be a recovering alcoholic and an AA and all that good stuff. Now we've seen David find crystal meth and get addicted to that. It does actually make me wonder and try to remember how many, if there's any more of the group, are going to have dependency issues on substances. I mean, we're halfway through them at this point if you count Kelly taking speed when she had an eating disorder and Brandon going to AA for 
I don't know, a season. True. Like, they they really, truly dropped those storylines way too quickly for me to actually count them. Like, it's not like Dylan who does not drink. Brandon drinks right. again. And, like, Kelly has no problem eating so much candy she chips a tooth. Like, they dropped right. those storylines. But technically, if you think about it, half the gang now has tried drugs or alcohol. Yep. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And Brenda's cigarettes. <laughs> oh, I forgot about Brenda's cigarettes. See, like, yeah, they just dropped that. I do wonder if, like, I mean, it's it's a little bit less like it is today, like, because I don't know if they were ever concerned with, like, getting canceled, um, like, season to season. Because I remember, like, just, if, like, 10 years ago when Parenthood was airing, it's like they th- they legitimately thought they were going to be canceled after every single season. So they wrote every single season like they were going to get canceled, right? Like, making sure to wrap up storylines at the end of the season. But with Beverly Hills, I have no idea if back then if they were just, like, renewed for multiple seasons or – given a contract that you know I don't know how they wrote the contracts back then but it almost seems like they kind of at times treat each season like an independent show not from a character standpoint but from continuity because Mm -hmm. some things they remember and bring up but then big things they just seem to kind of like push away and move on from yeah and I do know I looked up a couple articles from you know around this time because they're getting close to the 100th episode you know, this is their first season that they were outside of high school. And so I do think there was a bit of a concern about how they were going to bridge from high school to college and like, you know, Mm -hmm. make this work out. But yeah, I don't know, like, about renewals. Like you said, like, I don't know if they got renewed for two seasons or they got renewed for all of college or like somebody just trusted them. I also... You just made me remember something I've been meaning to tell you guys for like three recordings. I keep forgetting to. Apparently, and I saw this on like, you know, a couple comments, a couple blogs, whatever. I have never found like a true source for this, but apparently, Aaron Spelling saw Degrassi Junior High and tried to buy the rights to it. So that they could have Degrassi and then when they wouldn't – when like the CBC or whoever owns that wouldn't sell to him, that's how we got Beverly Hills 90210. Well, that brings my heart joy. Right? <laughs> but yeah, apparently – I don't know. I guess uh, Tori was watching Degrassi one day and he was like, I want that and they said no. Well, after my tangent, Mary – What else happened this week? Kelly drives Andrea to the family planning clinic to talk about her options for taking care of her pregnancy. Andrea's like, I know my options, thanks. One abortion, please, today. They can't do the procedure today, but they'll get her on the schedule. Andrea hasn't told Jesse she's planning to get an abortion. Maybe she should do that. She does that, and Jesse's like, uh, no, that's mine too. Apparently, off-screen, they had already decided that they would move to San Francisco together for Jesse's clerkship, get married, have the kid, and come back to finish school in the fall. Andrea has changed her mind about that plan that we never saw happen. She's sure that the baby will ruin both their lives. Jesse says, if you have an abortion, don't ever come back here. 
Andrea gets sick in class because being pregnant sucks. Kelly is there to support her up until the night before Andrea's appointment. Andrea has started to feel guilty. Kelly tells Andrea that she needs to do the right thing for herself first and the rest of everything will eventually be okay. Andrea has a conversation with her belly, apologizing for being afraid and unable to handle this situation. Jesse shows up at Andrea's door, thinking she's already had the abortion. He apologizes for not being there for her, but doesn't want this situation to end their relationship. Andrea decides she wants to keep the baby. She and Jesse go to the peach pit to announce that they're getting married and having the kid. Everyone is thrilled. And see, this storyline is why I think this is just watered down Degrassi. <laughs> like, okay, so this is the first thing that you see in the entire episode. And it's Kelly driving Andrea to the family planning clinic. Like, Kelly's helping her with the paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And I will say I do appreciate that they kind of, like, walked through, I guess, the procedural parts of having to do all this stuff. Like, she's talking about there being a waiting period, parental consent, signing documentation, da-da-da-da-da. The doctor starts asking her if the father knows, which I felt like was a little much. Yeah, I think it i hope it's not realistic um i see that's the problem is like i think it's realistic in the clinics that are like designed to talk you out of doing it mm, i see which is why i think it's watered down to grassy because they're like no no she's gonna have the baby so we're gonna be like your baby has fingernails right right which Again, like, I'm just thinking, like, Planned Parenthood, and I don't necessarily think – I mean, I don't know. I'm actually – I mean, I have very little knowledge on what actually happens, like, in these conversations. So, yeah, on the one hand, it was nice to kind of see that side of it. Um, and actually, weirdly, um, I just watched an, ep- watched an episode of This Is Us, and I'm – just in case people haven't seen those episodes, because I know that's very current, there's a storyline that includes – um, an abortion and it's actually pretty similar like what they show in terms of like the questions that you have to ask you have to get um, if you're under 18 or over 18 it depends on the consent situation um, they don't ask if the what well, now I don't remember <laughs> if they actually ask if the father knows or something like that but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. Like, I, I wonder if that's like the uber feminist in me that's like, why should it matter? Right. This is, this is the same thing I was saying last week is like, it's really like rabbit holy of like, Jesse does have a right to know, but at the same time, it's Andrea's body and she gets the ultimate decision. I mean, that's even the very next scene is that Andrea tells him that she wants to have this abortion. He's like, no, we already decided that you're going to have the baby. It's my baby mm-hmm. too. And she's like, no, no, you decided that that was going to be our plan. I don't want that to be my plan. Yeah. It's definitely kind of what we talked about last week where we were like, there's, it's like up to a certain point, right? It's like, it's a conversation and it's include cl- inclusive of the mom and the dad or, or the two that are like, contemplating having the baby to a certain point and then it's all about one person and her own body and so I think 
I actually think they handled that quite nicely. Like they blended the kind of it's my baby too with the, well, yes, but it's my body. Like I actually, like without blatantly saying it, I think they did a good job. And personally, I don't think it could have actually happened to a better character than Andrea because she is so headstrong when it comes to like her convictions, I guess, because she's very, I mean, she even says to Kelly later on, like she's the one who's pragmatic and she's the one who like follows the rules and like things like that. But still, even when this is something, quote unquote, where she didn't follow the rules or like made a mistake, quote unquote, I don't want to call it a mistake, but like, you know what I mean? She still is very firm and like, well, it's still my choice, right? Like, even if this is something emotional and this is something that I never planned, it's, I still have control somewhat. So, but again, like, even though I know they ultimately don't go through with the abortion, I actually thought this is one of the big moments and the big topics that Beverly Hills handles really, really well. Yeah, and it's it's actually really interesting you made the comment about calling the baby a mistake because Jesse even – like she does that while talking to Jesse and he's like, it's not a mistake. It's a baby. Mm-hmm. Like they really hit on everything. Like, you know, I think – Part of my, I don't even want to call it an issue with this story because I don't have an issue with it. Like they knew Andrea was going to keep the baby because Gabrielle Carteris is pregnant and they were like, oh, we can use this as a really good example to like have this storyline. And I just think, yeah, it's really interesting that they had her, you know, talk to the doctor and be like, oh, in California, there's no waiting period. I don't need a parental consent. I don't need this, this and this. And then, you know, Jesse having it from the religious side of it of like, it's not a mistake. It's a baby. We were going to do all these things. And I kind of really wish they had had a little more of them talking about it where she's like, he makes this comment that we're going to move to San Francisco. I'm going to have my clerkship. Then we're going to get married, come back and finish school. And like nobody ever makes a comment of like, we're going to finish school with a baby. Like, I think that's the only thing I, I wanted extra in this storyline. Yeah, for sure. Because it's obviously um, pie in the sky, you know, like perspective that Jesse has where he just thinks like, sure, we're having a baby, but it's going to be fine. And number one, I think, which is so interesting because like... I have so many different thoughts like going through my head right? about this because I do think that even like while I know that Jesse himself has struggled throughout his life being a person of color, he has also had a good amount of privilege by being able to afford college and now law school and now a clerkship and things of that nature to where he and Andrea as a couple do have a decent amount of privilege to be able to think oh it's all going to work out just fine we're going to be able to um move out to a pretty high like highly expensive city in san francisco we don't even know i assume it is but we don't even know if jesse's clerkship is paid um andrea is just going to pick up and leave i guess drop out of school for the time being and or delay and go out there then they're going to move back and go to school and have a newborn 
Uh, I just think, you know, and, and, and that means if you're taking Andre and Jesse, if they're go if they're leaving California or not, Cal- sorry, not California, if they're leaving like the Los Angeles, Beverly Hills ish area, they're also leaving their support system. So that means that depending on how long it is until the clerkship, I, I assume it's like four ish months until the clerkship. Who knows? I'm just going to guess the clerkship happens by the time they, I guess, move back. She's going to be like ready to pop. And like, maybe then she'll have her village back. But like, we don't know. There's so many things to think about, which obviously two young people haven't thought of, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my whole point to this was just that it's very interesting to hear about this from Jesse's point of view, thinking that everything's going to be okay and fine. And let's be real. It will be fine. Like th- this baby is going to have two loving parents that at the end of the day, in a lot of situations, that is the dream, right? Is to have two loving parents. However, it doesn't always work out that way. And so I think from Andrea's perspective, she's like, I'm not even 20. I don't have my degree. I don't have anything planned out. And now I'm trying to have a baby. That's not pragmatic as she even calls herself. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, I, I agree. Like, I wish we could have almost gotten a little bit more of those actual conversations because it, they do have such differing points of view. Not in the sense that it has even nothing to do with like pro-choice or pro-life. It's literally like stage of life, feasibility, and perspective. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And like Andre even, you know, says later like we see her having trouble in class physically because she's got morning sickness and then you know the night before she's supposed to have her appointment she's sitting there talking to her stomach which I feel like the way that she was touching her stomach I'm like this girl is already showing like she is four months pregnant and y'all are just making us think she's not um but she says to the baby like it's not that you're not wanted it's just I'm so young Mm -hmm. like and that's you know, essentially kind of wraps it up because she has all these conversations with the baby. Like, it's not like you're not wanted. And then she realizes, oh my God, you're, you're wanted. Like, I, I think I'm going to have you and all this stuff, but it's really hard to go back to school once you have a kid. It definitely is. And especially, I mean, I think that story actually has been like, we've seen that quite often of the highly ambitious woman who gets pregnant young and has to abandon it all you know and I think I'm trying to even think like I know that I know there have been other stories I just can't think of the characters by name but like we know that happens and I I guarantee you that's what Andre is thinking about it's like I'm young but it's not that she's just young she has not done the things that she planned out in her life yet Mm -hmm. and if she has this baby she I think knows that that could potentially all go away. Now, just to be super clear, because like, like none of us have kids yet. And some of us, we don't know if we're going to actually have the children (laughs) in our lives. But I I think it's pretty clear from anyone that's had a kid, not anyone that's had a kid, but for a lot of people, like I know for my mom, especially, she never had these like lofty goals. She always wanted to be a mom. And, you know, but even those who like, 
wasn't as like passionate about being a mother as my mom was. Everybody says like it changes you. Like just having a kid changes your worldview. And I firmly believe that. I mean, people wouldn't say it so often if it wasn't true. Um, but that doesn't mean that later on you can't still wish you did those things that you set out for yourself, right? Like you can't think, well, what if I had been a doctor? What if I had been a lawyer? What if I had been a businesswoman? Like whatever that mm-hmm. dream was. And so I think it's really like that's why I think I love the way that um the writers and and Darren Starr and everybody handled this was because it touched on so many different things and it didn't necessarily have to be about whether or not you agree with abortion. And so I think that's I think that's why I loved it so much. Yeah, I when this episode opened up with her at the clinic, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's going to be really hard not to get super political in this episode." Mm-hmm. And then as it went on, like I guess it just didn't have to be political. And it was nice. Yeah. And I mean, not not saying that it's not an important conversation to have. I just think it's not the only conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason I feel like I don't have to be political about it is because they showed that Andrea had a choice and that she was able to make her own choice. Yep. 100%. And I mean, it happened to be a choice that worked out really well for, you know, presentability, I guess. But yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, the the Andrea storyline ends. So she like Jesse comes over, apologizes. You know, Mary brought this up in the synopsis. She tells him that she's keeping the baby, and then they go to the peach pit to announce that they're getting married and that she's pregnant. And everyone is so happy for her. And I kind of had a moment of like, shouldn't someone be like, is this a shotgun wedding? Should you be doing this? I almost like thought for a second, this group is so used to stuff like this. It probably just doesn't even face like. Brenda almost got married to Stuart in two weeks. Like, <laughs> they even make a comment. They're like, oh, are we all going to Vegas? Yeah. So they're so desensitized to, like, big whammy, like, <laughs> in-your-face decisions that they're like, cool, let's get on board this train. Where are we going? <laughs> I know. Don- okay. So, like, right after this, Donna is like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. Can I babysit? And then Andrea goes, you can all babysit. And my first thing was like, uh uh-uh, not everyone volunteered, only Donna (laughs) volunteered. Which, of course, she did. Adorable. Of course, she did. I mean, that's, like you said, like, they are ready to get on board this train. Mm -hmm. But I just laughed because, like, my first inclination, because I am terrified of babies, is just like, no, no, I did not volunteer. You're not putting that baby on me. Yeah. And then, of course, it was, like, a good joke about, like, it was it was very nice that they included kind of everybody's little quirks mm-hmm. because Steve gets to make a little joke about there not being enough elbow room in the womb, which is so cute. And then I, I almost think he, I don't know if it said it in the closed captions, but I think he said elbow womb, which is cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> it did not say it in the closed captions. It said room. And then. But- Andrea is like, as long as it's not twins, and both Brandon and Brenda are like, what's wrong with twins? I know. <laughs> so I wish we had ended there, but we didn't. I know. I really wish we had ended there because everything that happens after this sucks. Because, like, 
Donna's like, oh my gosh, I have to call David and tell him. And then it's like even more obvious that David is separate from the group because he's Mm -hmm. currently in the dorms considering injecting meth between his toes while all of his friends are celebrating a pregnancy and an engagement and all this stuff. Exactly. And then after that, we get a scene that we haven't even started talking about yet. Yeah. So, uh, Mary, tell us what else happened. Real quick, can I just point out that Brandon kissed Andrea? Yes. Yes. You can absolutely point that out because I hate it. It I hate it so much. There were two things I hated in that scene, and I almost didn't bring them up just because everything else was so great. But yeah, number one is the fact that Brandon bends down to Andrea like she's a child and then does like a little peck on her lips while her boyfriend, now fiance and baby daddy, is right there. Mm -hmm. And the second thing was like when Kelly also like bends down to Andrea like she's a child and like loudly whispers, what made you change your mind? And see, I thought you were going to say the other part. The part that bothered me was when Steve, like, goes to her stomach and makes the comment about, like, elbow womb. And then she's like, no, I think, you know, it's probably just gas. And then Jesse's like, don't ask me. I'm just the dad. Oh, yes. Jesse, no. I I didn't even hear it, I think, because I was, like, reeling from Brandon kissing her. Ugh. Anyway. Brandon has a problem kissing his friends. Brandon is way too much with the mouth. And I don't know why, and we'll get there because I'm going to bring that up again later. At this point, just start kissing Steve and Dylan, too. Okay, I'd actually be okay with that. Yeah. (laughs) I'll take that. All right, you ready for the rest of them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brenda is taking Lucinda's anthropology seminar where she learns that Lucinda and Professor Randall broke up. She tells Brandon immediately when she brings him some lunch at the hospital where he's waiting for Nat to get out of surgery. Brandon has a dream that he's the one in the hospital, and he sleeps while Jim yells at him for putting himself there. Lucinda shows up in a sexy nurse outfit and tells his family to get out. It's time for his massage. Ew. Brandon reveals that he was only pretending to be asleep and makes out with Nurse Lucinda. Joey wakes Brandon and says that Nat's surgery went well and he should go home. Brandon is still doing all he can to keep the peach bit in business by himself. Dylan has a conversation with cousin Joey who wants to sell his shares of the business. Dylan gets a look on his face like, I'm going to buy those. Jim's like, don't buy a diner, Dylan. But he already knows Dylan's going to buy a diner. So Dylan buys a diner. (laughs) Dylan gives Brandon the news that he is now Nat's partner at the peach pit. Brandon gets a weird look on his face. Brenda asks him if he feels left out. Brandon says he feels like he was so close to saving the day all by himself, but then somebody else, (laughs) Dylan, swooped in and saved it instead, but sports metaphors. Jim tells Brandon he's very proud of him. Brandon's like, yeah, well, that's fine, but I'm never going to know what it's like to have money, am I? Jim's like, that's why I want you to meet the president. Brandon talks to Dylan, and it's fine, I guess. Brandon goes to see Lucinda because he's worried about her. Divorce is hard, you know? Brandon says he'll be her friend and then slurps her face. <laughs> no, you said slurps. I added that when you said it because it was it was the right word. It It is absolutely the right word. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. So, spoiler alert, hated this storyline. Oh, yeah, me too. I hated it 
so much. Like the whole Dylan and Brandon, like they even show them kind of bickering right before Nat goes into surgery because Dylan mm-hmm. is like, well, shouldn't you be in the operating room giving the surgeon pointers? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, Dylan is all of us right now. So I almost wonder if somebody, and we all know who this person is, like, kept wanting Brandon to be the golden boy, the white knight, the hero so much. And some of the writers were just like, I'm sick of this. And needed to, like, have somebody else say it. And it just snuck through approvals. (laughs) I mean, it's the whole thing of, like, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times where we don't actually get to see Brandon do all these things that are supposed to make him great. They just throw in lines later that say, oh, he got straight A's all last semester. Oh, the dean put him on this task force. The dean personally knows that him not being at task force meetings takes something out of the meetings. Like, we're mm-hmm. just told that white knight Brandon uh, – Boy Scout Brandon, like all this kind of stuff that this exists. But then when it actually comes down to it, like, you know, like Mary said, Brandon is sitting here being like, I'm saving the peach pit all by myself. And then other people step in to do something that he can't do and he gets pissy about it. Right. And that's like, that's, that's Brandon in a nutshell. He even said to Brenda, like, which I know we're skipping ahead, but. That's he even fine. said to Brenda, he, like, doesn't want a pat on the back. You absolutely want a pat you on the back. absolutely want a pat on the back. And, like, he is very specifically mad at Dylan for Dylan yeah. putting the money in. Like, he never said anything about Joey putting any money in. He's never said something about his dad doing the books for the Peach Pit. It's just the idea that Dylan buys into it while Brandon is busy, like, on the ground saving it well and that's the thing it's like brandon i can understand like if they took the angle of brandon saying he wants to be able to do more like he he's helping the peach pit because he loves nat and he loves the peach pit but he wishes he could do more to literally save it like you know obviously it's that thing of the whole Okay, let me get my thoughts together. What they're trying to do is show that money can solve a lot of problems. And I think what Brandon's point should have been is that it's nice that money can just be thrown at a situation and solve it. But I'm trying to do some of the hard work to make sure it's like lasting. Because like, I, I, I'm gonna make another Gilmore Girls reference. It's like, when in season seven of Gilmore Girls, when Lorelai and Christopher are together and Laura or Christopher has all this money now and they have the knit-a-thon to save the bridge. And so Christopher just writes a check for the amount of money that they need to raise to save the bridge. And Lorelai is like, that's really nice. But like the whole thing is the town all gets together and knits and does this whole thing. And it like s- forms a sense of community and like we all come together and all of that. Yeah, of course the goal is to save the bridge, but it's also the journey to saving the bridge that matters too. So I think if they were to try to make that point a little bit more clear, I would have been more okay with it. But it's not like Dylan's not helping. Dylan's going to work 
at the peach pit. He got Susanna job at the peach pit. Like he's also doing the things as well as buying the shares in order to save the peach pit. So I just think that they probably, they just went about it a little too, it just makes us not sympathetic to Brandon. It's like, I you're mad for the wrong reason, man. Yeah. No, he's absolutely mad because he wants recognition too. He wants the recognition that like, he's the first one that decided to do this and he brought the group together and then like they get so excited that you know Dylan brought in the money and it's very much that he's just mad he's being overshadowed and that he couldn't put the money in exactly and like again you can be mad that you don't have the money to save it not at the person who does have the money yeah it was it was a lot of mixed message like for you know, as much as I enjoyed how straightforward the message was in Andrea's storyline, I guess, mm-hmm. they completely ruined it here. None of this makes any mm-hmm. sense. Because on top of everything going on with Nat and the Peach Pit, they bring Lucinda back, which, like, somebody, I don't remember their name, I'll have to go look it up, like, commented, I think, on Instagram saying that we gave Lucinda too much credit and that this wasn't the last we'd seen of her. And now I'm just, like, furious that we were just, like, Lucinda did a good thing last time we saw her. I don't know how I feel about Lucinda at this point. Because, like, on the one hand, I don't like that she sexually harassed Brandon. (laughs) But on the other hand, I'm like, are you a villain? Because if you are, I already like you. But also, like, what are your villainous goals and what part of humanity the humanity in you is still around because that's the thing I only like a villain if they have part of humanity still left in them and we can explore that depth but I just don't understand Lucinda's game at this point nor her point of being around so I don't know how to feel about Lucinda I did not like I agree with you I I did not really care that she was like in this episode I, I like the seminar and like that all the ladies are wanting to take her seminar that part's cool but Not sure I understand the connection between her and Brandon at this point, other than to be kind of a hot fantasy for Brandon. I I don't know. right yeah agreed it's yeah no I agree with you it's very um reminiscent of Miss Jacobs and Pacey in Dawson's Creek and it's not, I mean, obviously, well different because Pacey was a minor, but it's just kind of that thing of, you know, teacher-student relationship, 
that really shouldn't be a thing for different reasons than in like what you normally see teacher student relationship because Lucinda's probably like in her 20s at this point I think we've learned she was like 25 or 26 or something right so I'm not so much bothered by the age it's just more the fact that she the beginning of the relationship was all power related and yeah I don't care for them being in a relationship now. <laughs> I will take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the connection they were trying to make because, like, literally, Andre was like, "Yeah, my grandma made quilts." Oh shit, I'm sick. Like, <laughs> they they pivoted quickly. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I I I feel you on that. And again, I'll take your word on it. Like. Really, the only thing that happens with Lucinda and Brandon is just basically, like, I think Mary said in the synopsis, Brenda reintroduces Lucinda into the conversation because she tells Brandon that she and Corey have divorced. And at some point during the end of it, Brandon goes to wherever Lucinda was staying, because I assume it's not in the house. Oh, okay. Well... Sure. Got it. Yeah. So she he goes to her house. They quickly talk about the fact that she's now divorced. Lucinda says something about needing a friend and Brandon's like, I can be that friend. And then they just eat each other's face. Gross. <laughs> You're totally allowed to be mad. I'm not as mad as you are. I just don't want it. I don't care about it. I I'm more in like get out, get off my screen. Like I want to see Andrea being excited about her baby more than I want to see like two attractive people making out. Like that says something. <laughs> Like, okay, if you make, like, Pac-Mans with your, with your face and then just, like, put the webs of your thumbs together, that's them making out. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, a gradual, like, open, close together, open, close together. It was two bend your heads, <laughs> like, tilt. Like, you, they're... I didn't really see much tongue at all for like the majority of the kiss. And then at the very end, there was just like a jab or something like it was not yeah. good kissing. I feel like it's like if you're going to if you're going to open your mouth that wide, use tongue. 
Well, regardless, it's not attractive kissing. You're right. It's so uh, dumb. And it's, ugh. They look bad at it. They look so bad at it. And she's like a grown woman. And she should just be like, no. But for some reason, every woman is just like, who taught you to kiss, Brandon? Ugh. That fifth grader. <laughs> and I've never changed anything. I've never adapted. I've never grown. <laughs> God, what fifth grader is like, yeah, I know how to kiss with tongue. No. Stop. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have – I can't. But like that's – like this whole Brandon thing is just all over the place because we also have to hear about the task force too. Cause, oh, yeah. you know, at some point Brandon leaves the hospital, runs into the dean who he's been like making personal calls to – and the dean makes all these comments like, when you're not in the mix, we miss you. The tax force isn't the same without you. And I'm like, but we, we've we never actually seen Brandon do task force things. And it can't have been going on long enough for Brandon to actually be making an impact. Right. And it's like the dean talks about all his like fresh ideas and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't know that I've ever heard Brandon have like a bunch of creative ideas like i like sure the idea to help run the peach pit while nat is in the hospital good idea creative not really task force level idea who knows maybe the initiative is like what the dean really likes and he just said it was his ideas but like yeah i it's just really hard and i i almost wonder if like life imitating art here and art imitating life in the sense that like they're spreading Brandon too thin in the plot as well as trying to make Brandon this like jack of all trades character or even master of all trades character when you can only be a jack of all trades kind of guy so it's like they don't have enough time to give us scenes to show how what a boy scout Brandon is to show what a good idea man Brandon is to show you know his passion for certain things like they can't put him in in so many things, but they're trying too hard to make us believe that he's just all these things and we just haven't seen it. So it's like, why don't you just like peel back a little bit, take two things for Brandon instead of five and really hammer those home so that we can really get these character traits that we so solidly have for Donna, for Kelly, for Steve even. You know, we know who they are. We know what they're about. We're being told what Brandon is instead of being shown it because I think they're trying to put him in too many different boxes. Yeah. No, it's all happening off screen. And I just looked it up. By the way, last episode was the episode that we found out that Brandon was going to be on this task force. And he has missed a week because of Nat's heart attack. So as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, he's never been to a task force meeting. Like, And like, does this task force meet every day? They would have had to for Brandon to have literally ever been there. Yeah. No, they're, they're doing all this stuff just to say that Brandon is this thing. And yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe the writers did realize they were spreading him too thin. So they were like, well, we'll just have to like make scenes to say that he did it because we don't have time to show him doing all the things he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, yeah. it pisses me off. Well, I and Brandon. I mean, it kind of like blends to when Dylan does buy the peach pit and he tells um, he tells Brandon with at the hospital with Nat and like all that. And then later on, that's when we get the twin talk because I think 
like we've talked about, we don't really see Brandon do all these things. We actually see Brandon studying now because he has the time because, but my thing is, is like, even if Dylan did financially help the peach, but you still got to run it. So like what in your schedule actually changed? Anyway, that's just a side thing. We don't have to talk about that. But my point is they're doing this on purpose to like knock some things off of his list. So now he can focus on school and probably the task force because then when Jim is talking to him about being like um, proud of him for his whatever he's doing, I guess. And even though he was just really mad at him for like taking over the peach pit, but he's like blatantly saying the task force is your ticket to getting the things that you want. And so I think they're nudging us in that direction of, okay, Brandon's going to get a focus for this like last third or half, wherever we are third, in the season. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely they take a shift in the episode to be like, well, Dylan put the money in, so I guess the peach pit is saved now, even though, like, yeah, somebody still has to run it. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. whatever. But then Jim makes these comments of like, well, what if Nat never comes back to the peach pit? Then you are stuck running it and you don't get to go do the task force things. This is why I want you to meet the president. This is your ticket out of here. You can be the greatest, blah, blah, blah. Which actually is a very interesting parallel to us talking earlier about Andrea having a baby and then not getting to do all the things she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't think so. Could have been. I mean, it would have been smart. It's still there, so. I mean, it's still there. I just think our conversation about Andrea not getting to do all the things that she wanted to do was more us than the writers. Sure. But yeah, and then like kind of the last thing with with like Brandon's little storyline here that's not Lucinda is Brandon and Dylan kind of have this weird confrontation and Brandon makes a joke that's not really it's not a, a joke, joke at all. Yeah. About like well, why don't you buy yourself your own hospital and then you can make the visiting hour like whatever you want. Whatever he says, I don't even remember. I just all I heard was buy a hospital and I'm like, "Bruh, This is you getting mad that Dylan has money and you not having money when you already have all this privilege. You're just getting mad that Dylan has, like, financial privilege. Like, stop. Yeah. You still have privilege. Well, and then, like, Dylan makes these comments of, like, well, money is not all it's cracked up to be because I don't know what to spend it on. It can't all be Porsches. (laughs) And then he says, you hang out with a Boy Scout long enough, you learn the handshake, which I liked – the quote because I thought it was a really fun thing for Dylan to say but it's really stupid because I hate that everyone is just like Brandon's such a boy scout he's really rubbing off on me and I'm a good guy now yeah I just I just wish that they put more emphasis on the fact that Donna is the true girl scout slash boy scout of the group and that she should rub off on them <laughs> I just like and they I think, you know, I wrote in my notes that Jim and Brandon have this whole conversation about power and money and Brandon's future and that this was like right before he makes that jab at Dylan. And they basically come to this conclusion that Brandon is better than Dylan because he'll have to work hard for his money and know how to take care of it rather than Dylan just throwing it around. I mean, you think about it and and there's a lot of things that you can kind of equate that to nowadays where it's like, just because you have money doesn't mean you're a good person, but also just because you work hard doesn't mean you're a good person. So it's like Dylan is doing positive things with his money that he has and not being a jerk about it. Meanwhile, 
there's, like you said, Brandon, who's being taught that if you work hard, you're a better person. And like you obtain all this status and money and power, you're a better person than if you just walked into it or were left into it. And I do think that there there's a point to be made that there are people out there that do really bad things with a lot of money that they didn't earn. That's common. Like that that happens. But just because you work for your money doesn't mean then you're going to do good things with that money. So I think it's like it just shows like it's really about the person, not about the circumstance. Like the circumstance can mold you and can, you know, force you into doing things or make you do things. But if you're still a good person, you're going to do good things with that no matter what. So I just don't like the idea that Jim's saying, well, you just keep working hard and you just pull up your bootstraps and you're going to get whatever you deserve and Dylan will get his. You know, like he doesn't blatantly say that, but it almost sounds like Dylan's going to lose all his money one day because he's so he's not as good as you and all this. Yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah, I mean, that's like they they try to do way too much in this episode they try to do way too much with just brandon if we even just had brandon in this storyline it still would have been too messy of an episode with all of this different stuff going on and yeah like they keep acting like dylan isn't a good guy and that brandon's a Mm -hmm. great person and just like on and on and on and on and yeah i don't know but then of course we get to end with that lovely lucinda scene so again i wish we had ended with the gang together sans david talking about the baby and how excited they are because that again we've always talked about it when the group's together there's good things happening it's good stuff yeah no i think i think this would have been a much better episode if it ended with everybody at the peach pit except for david and andrea you know showing up them all celebrating blah 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 like don't have lucinda in this episode we don't need to see the intro to this like feminist class and like maybe make Brandon's story just about the peach pit and like him trying to come to terms with like, well, I've been, you know, boots on the ground. I'm the one opening up every day. I'm the one burning the candle at both ends as dream Jim says and having to come to terms with Dylan, like quote unquote swooping in to save the day. Yeah. I think if you cut out Lucinda, you cut out the weird stuff about the task force, you cut out those last two scenes, I think it would have been a lot cleaner of an episode. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, I don't know that I actually have a quote of the week, but I do want to give a shout out to the blockbuster in the opening yeah. scene montage. I saw it too and immediately was filled with nostalgia. Yeah. So my quote of the week is the blockbuster. <laughs> All right. What you got, Mary? I didn't write one down. Guys, this one I was know. so easy. This one's a slam dunk this week. What was it? Well, guys, it's for sure when Dylan says, gee, Brandon, I figured you'd be in the operating room there looking over the surgeon's shoulder. That way you could give him some pointers. We love okay, a snarky Dylan. That. We love a snarky Dylan. I mean, di- especially at Brandon's expense. Exactly. And that's like really the theme for the entire episode. It's like showing that everybody else is like, well, yeah, why don't you just try to control the situation? Why don't you think you're better than everybody else and can tell everyone else how to do what they know? 
brands explain them all, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, I'm even looking at my notes at the part where Brenda says, you're all on the same team. Like, yeah, you are, Brandon. Yeah, he doesn't get that. He wants to be the superstar that gets all the credit, not be a team player. Well, and let's be honest. It's not like the show is making us think anything else. Brandon is exactly. the star. <laughs> yeah. I do kind and- of want a scene of Brandon trying to out-doctor a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. I but guess what guys what this episode's over next episode is the big one it's numero I forgot the word I forgot the word <laughs> what is it uh, Ciento no that's not right I didn't take Spanish I took Latin what Cien Cien <laughs> alright it is the big one the big kahuna it's episode 100 which is a very big milestone for many shows especially these days with shortened seasons so and this will not be the only (laughs) milestone we hit for this show but it sure is the first so what is it what is episode 100 it's called scared very straight which if we had lesbians in the show that would have been a good play but we don't so Uh, it better be scared very straight with david Getting off drugs is what it should yeah, be. Yeah, we I hope swear. so. Mm-hmm. We hope oh, so. I'm... Or maybe it's like something else to do with like, I don't know, Brandon and Lucinda because we know that's like an iffy relationship. I don't know. Realizing that you shouldn't be having an affair with a professor, Brandon. I know. All right. Well, I guess. Watch them not be divorced. Watch them just be moving. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like she has lied to him before saying that they're in an open relationship. So why wouldn't she be lying now? I know. Liar's gonna lie, man. Liar's gonna lie. Well, I guess we'll have to find out what happens next week. So until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to podcast. And you can send us your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, any kind of thought that wiggles into your head. Send us an email at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go to your podcast app and share, like, subscribe, rate, review, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, Five-star reviews really help us get seen and they really, you know, help us get the podcast out there. But as always, we appreciate your honesty. And don't forget, if you leave us a comment or a review or anything like that, we'll shout you out on the podcast and, um, you know, keep those coming. We like them. Yeah. So from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm a boom mic. Oh, good one. I'm Lucinda. Dang it. I was going to be Lucinda. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Guess we'll have to be Joey again. (laughs) Cousin Joey. (laughs) Bye. Bye. See ya.